Welcome to your American Heritage, baby. Yeah, my name is Ed Bondarenka. My pronouns are we and the people. And I am, of course, not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. Working the board and the phone lines is the hardest working man in radio. Derek Stone, host of Stone Cold Sports, which airs Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd on the intersection at noon. Sean hosts that show. You know, it's, uh, of course, not your normal fluffy Christian show. But it's well worth listening to. The show is available by podcast. Share it with your friends. Find it on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And subscribe. Please subscribe. It'd be encouraging to know I have more than 19 listeners. So it's day two. I'm sorry, day 605 of the coup. That's the theft of the American government by enemies both foreign and domestic. Our federal government's been stolen by the illegal actions of leftist politicians, and they are driving it like they stole it. I remember watching the TV series Babylon 5 years ago, and in it, there turned out to be these creatures, these ancient creatures that turned out to be behind everything that was going on. It's a sci-fi show, and it's showing these creatures, and you've got to believe that they exist, suspend your disbelief. And uh, they were called the shadows, and few people suspected that they existed, but they motivated people to do their bidding. And what they wanted wasn't good for us, yet powerful and influential people on the show acted according to their wishes. And, well, geez, you can almost believe that's happening today, right? What else could explain the stupid, irrational things that we're coming out of the left? This is spiritual warfare. This is good versus evil. This is not shadows versus lords of light or something. This is God. This is God versus Satan. And we're involved in this battle. So... I just want to say that Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. So join in the battle, clasp those hands, lock those fingers together, bow your heads, and let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please protect our nation. Please rise up and defend us, and please restore righteousness to the governance of our nation and our states. Please lead and guide the American people in the days to come and in the elections approaching. Amen. My guest today is Scott Powell, author of Rediscovering America. Now, what could more dovetail into the premise of this show than that? Learning about and defending our American heritage. And today is Constitution Day. And Scott wrote a chapter about that in his book, among other chapters about other national holidays. And so I got to say, hi, Scott. Happy Constitution Day. Great to be with you. Glad to have you aboard, sir. So you wrote a book, Rediscovering America. What inspired you to write this book? Well, for many years, I'd been concerned about the direction that uh, the country was going in, uh, and I need not go into any of those details. But um, I'm a, uh, an economist, and I have worked at the Hoover Institution and currently at the Discovery Institute, and I mainly they wanted me to write on economic policy issues. And then an editor of a newspaper uh, said, hey, do you have anything on the upcoming holiday? I think it was July 4th. I, I, I have a, I'd like to have a July 4th article. Can you write it? And I said, sure. 
So I researched it thoroughly and uh, found so many stories and backstories that were fascinating uh, that I wrote an article that was very well received. It got a lot of, uh, you know, kind of went viral. And I realized, gee, uh, the history of America through its holidays are really interesting. So I wrote articles on other holidays. And finally, after about four years, I had, I had written on every single holiday. And then my reader said, you got to write the book, Scott. you got to write the book. But books uh, don't generally make a lot of money. I needed to keep working at uh, my income-producing <laughs> job. But after Thanksgiving of, I think it was 2019, you know, I had a call uh, distinctly that it was time to write the book. Now, I didn't know that we were going into 2020 with COVID and the lockdowns and the tearing down of our heritage monuments and statues and wholesale insurrection uh, in our cities uh, to take us down. But that's what happened. And I realized that, yeah, that's why I was called to write the book. So it, it is an incredible book because it is, um, it's relatively short, but it, 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 it describes uh, the backstories of greatness behind all the transitional periods in our history. So there are some, some things that are left out. It's not a chronological history, but from Columbus Day to you know, the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King, I, I describe how God's hand moving in America. And we actually have an extraordinary history, unlike almost any other, that we have a, uh, you know, we have a, a redemptive history. Yes, we, we had slavery in the beginning of the country at the time of the Declaration and the Constitution, uh, and the Constitu- at the Constitutional Convention, uh, the hope was that the states, the southern states, would deal with slavery because there was a great moral opposition both from the North and the South, and, uh, of course, that didn't happen. We fought a war over it, and even after the war, we had black laws and, and Jim Crow laws. We were, you know, we were still a segregated society in which there was discrimination, but God raised up Martin Luther King in the mid-20th century, and uh, as Christ said, it was finished. Martin Luther King's work uh, made, uh, brought about the same result, that racism in America, segregation, discrimination was over and that America was free of it, and we had many laws that came out of the civil rights movement, and of course there was upward mobility, and, and there's full enfranchisement of black people, uh, and people from all races, because we are an inter... It's not just black and white, we are a country of immigrants, and we have a diversity. So America is a great land of opportunity for those who want to seize it. And, uh, and this book is, is just, just as soldiers have a combat, uh, you know, they, ha- they have a field manual when they go into combat. I wrote this book in, in a similar way that it's really a, a, an historical and spiritual warfare manual for citizens to take back their country. And uh, it's been very well received. It was number one on Amazon for eight straight weeks after it came out. So I know that's a little wordy, but um, that's how the book came about. No, it's great. Great answer. And I really appreciate it. Once again, I mean, I, I think we're on the same uh, same page here. This is spiritual warfare. Like you said, that we need to show people that this is not just not just a political battle. This is good versus evil. Now, a lot of people are willing to admit that it's good versus evil because they can see the good and they can see the evil. But they have a they have a hard time 
uh, locating the source of the good and the evil. They say, oh, well, this person's a good person. That person's an evil person. I think that's all there is to it. And I, I really do think without, you know, going into a Bible study, I think we're caught up in in a a large struggle for planet Earth right now. And and we know that, I, 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 frankly, as a, as a Christian, I know how it ends. Um, and it's, it's going to get hard. It's going to get very hard for people who are left here. But if we can, there are people who think that we are in the end times. And I do not believe we are necessarily in the end times. Paul in the New Testament said, yeah, we're in the end times. And of course, you know, Jesus didn't return back then, unless you have a certain religious persuasion that believes that. And so I think that we can be salt and light. And with our actions and with our behavior, we can actually gather more people over to the good side and postpone. Well, the harvest, the harvest is great right now uh, because yes. people have people can see uh, the betrayal. They can see the more utter moral confusion that their kids are being groomed in, in grade school to question their sexual identity. Uh, and, you know, this critical race theory business is just a reversion. It, 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 there's no place for critical race theory because it is finished. Uh, it is finished. We, you don't go back and revisit the sins of the past when you are forgiven of them. And anyone who, who has lived a fairly long life knows that it, it is a big mistake to go back uh, in your past or in someone else's past and accuse them again uh, uh, of something that has been resolved. So we should be free, and we are a country that was built on freedom, and we certainly shouldn't lose it, but we are losing it very fast because the evil forces have marshaled a formidable army, and uh, we've, we've we've got to defeat them. So this is a, you know, this upcoming election is very important, but beyond that, we have to we have to take back our country, and we have to uh, recognize that you know we we want to promote a you know a new cultural renaissance and a spiritual revival in our country, the likes of which we haven't seen maybe since the uh, um, the Great Awakening. Well, I can see we are pretty much on the same page after all. I, I you and I hadn't spoken previously, and. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you an aside here. In looking you up, I found, you know, your name, Scott Powell. I'm looking for more about Scott Powell. And I found that uh, you were one of the founding members of Sha Na Na. And then no, it turned I out, wasn't. no, you no, weren't. No, that's not me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong Scott Powell. No. Well, along those lines, I was looking for, there's a book I, I was uh, reading and I wanted to get the author on. And the book is called The 1620 Project, An Answer to the 1619 Project. And it's a really good book. And the author's name is Peter Wood. And so I look up this Professor Peter Wood and I get the wrong, how many Professor Peter Woods are there? And I get this liberal guy who is aware of who the real, the guy I want to talk to is, you know, and he says, uh, I'm not the guy, I know the guy you want to talk to and we don't very much agree, you know? And uh, it was kind of funny, but his book, The 1620 Project, points out that we don't go back to Jamestown as part of our founding, we go back to the Mayflower Compact. And the Mayflower Compact, you know, those those Christians were abolitionists. And so 
America's founding isn't as, as granted, we had the sin of slavery. We couldn't get rid of that to the, you know, right off the bat that we wanted to. And we had to go through that great conflict. And, uh, and as Abraham Lincoln said, you know, we had to shed blood to, to match the blood that was shed. But we resolved it. And it's and like you said, that we had the, man, we were well on our way after the 60s and 70s, well on our way to being reconciled as a country racially until the left decided it was in their best interest because fights over wages weren't going to bring about socialism. It had to be something else and thus CRT. Am I close? But, but there's, some, there's something much bigger than this. The enemy wants to destroy America. And American people need to wake up to that fact, and they need to be prayerful. They need to, to uh, offer prayers of repentance for the nation, and then they need to get engaged and push back against these evil forces, because this is a spiritual warfare, a war the likes of which we have not seen, uh, certainly since the Civil War. Yeah, yes and, yes and amen. And um, today is Constitution Day, and uh, as I said, happy Constitution Day. And, you know, a lot of people think of 1776 as, you know, the birthday of America. And, of course, uh, the revolution started a year earlier at Lexington and Concord, and, um, and that was a battle, and that was a battle for liberty. And then we had the... Uh, the uh, the Articles of Confederation, I believe they were called, right? And yes, then yes. that wasn't working out so well. So then we had the Constitution, which on this day in 1787 was actually the birthday of the United States, right? Yes, it was. Yes. In, in, in terms of the formal structuring of the government that we would live under and still live under. So there was a, you know, the Declaration of Independence articulated the vision of equality, you know, self, it was self-evident that people were all were, were created equally by God and that they had the unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what the Declaration, uh, that the vision of the Declaration was stated there, and the, the Constitution uh, was to, in, to, to formalize that vision in a, in a government structure that would fulfill those ideals. So the government, of course, you know, the wisdom of the founders is just so profound. They recognize that, you know, that uh, they recognize that man uh, has fallen nature, that power tends to corrupt, and so they structured a government with three branches of government, checks and balances between those three to mitigate corruption of government. That was the, one of the primary objectives. <laughs> You did have, you had to have a judiciary. You needed a legislature to create laws, and you needed an executive branch. But uh, those were to to check each other. And then, of course, the system is unique in that we have a federal system. So there's a division of power between the states and the federal government. And and the the final coding, if you will, or the final level of protection is that they structured in the Constitution very frequent elections. So that the people who are empowered can throw the corrupt bums out on a fairly regular basis. Every two years for Congress, every every six years for Senate for the Senate. Uh, but they, of course, the, the founders really probably had a little bit too much optimism in the people, and 
perhaps they underestimated how the how corruption would enter the system and had they realized should they see where we are today and they could redo the constitution there would have been term limits put in everywhere do you really think but, that but unfortunately we are living in a system that's open ended and we are struggling with evil corruption and when it gets ingrained when it when it when it permeates the government as it does now where the bureaucracies that are so just you know they're not they shouldn't be political but they are uh and the the courts are are politicized um and so many congress people both senate and house are compromised people they're bought and paid for some by the chinese and others by industries and so they are not looking out for the best interests of America and the people, uh, but they're looking out for their own interests and they're getting rich in government. The founders had no vision of that whatsoever. You were going to, if you went to government to serve, uh, you would return to the private sector fairly shortly and live under the laws that you legislated. They, they would be appalled to see the permanent class of corrupt politicians today. They would roll over in their grave. I believe that they they envisioned, and of course they lived uh, uh, citizen citizen patriots, citizen um, if you want to call them politicians, citizen officials, and so you know, and particularly since it was such a large agrarian society at the time that uh, a guy would have to get back to his farm eventually in order to provide for his family. And it was a sacrifice. We know that, you know, oftentimes they, particularly with the, con with the, the various Congresses during the war, the Constitutional Congress the, and the, uh, oh my goodness, the, uh, the council that was uh, formed during the revolution, you know, that they left their wives behind and they wanted to get back to them. So there was no love of, of office. And uh, I don't think they foresaw, foresaw two things, as you alluded to, the administration state and I don't think they foresaw the National Education Association either. Of course not. No, schools were all local. There was no Department of Education. Uh, schools were, uh, were, were local. And, uh, and the early schools were, were really oriented around a biblical foundation. Um, yeah, the, and, the McGuffey Reader. And they, func and they functioned very well. People were much better educated in the early period of our history than they are today much better educated about all the subject matters. Uh, yes, science, computer science, and so forth would not be included in that. That's a new discipline. But um, the reality is, is that they, they were trained to think critically, to think independently. And the, and the educational system today is designed to brainwash, to dumb down the people, to conform to uh, you know, a government that would be a uniparty system, and uh, ultimately, um, you know, we're really facing such challenges that transcend our borders, and the American, but the American people are ill-equipped to really understand it. So I commend you for what you're doing on your radio show, and that's why I wrote this book. And uh, it's a it's a wonderful book, by the way. It's easy to read. It's really designed for professionals that don't have time to read. And I, I say to people, I mean, if it isn't—that's me. That's me. If it isn't one of the top two, 
history books on America you've ever read, I'll give you your money back. Well, that's excellent. And of course, it is rediscovering America. I did not. Now, you know, I just realized that I could have you as a guest just a few days ago, and I did not get a chance to read the book. Typically, I like to uh, at least skim, if not read, a book of a guest before I have them on. So my apologies for not being familiar, but I will be uh, basically on your recommendation uh, acquiring the book because, uh, like you said, a uh, uh, time to read, busy professional. Uh, man, it's just not enough hours in the day. And so let's see now. I was well, let me, thinking let me, in let me terms add one of, thing uh, for you and your listeners. The, the book is written very carefully. You know, the Bible is the perennial bestseller, right? It, it sells more than any other book, even today. Uh, and it, and what is it about the Bible that, that works so well? It's, it's that the truth is delivered in stories. So this book follows that pattern. It, it is the stories of America. And each chapter is a story of a period in American history, the key transitional times. Uh, and, and the reader will discover that that uh, historical truth is more unbelievable uh, than fiction. You know, the, the dramas, uh, the, the, the unexpected things, the, uh, the, the, the turnovers, the reversals, and the ultimate victories that were made, are, it's, it's just an, an incredible story. And, it, and so you can read each chapter and have a sense of satisfaction. I understand that part of our history. And then you can move on to the next and the next and the next. Because people need to understand the virtue of the very country they live in. And we need to, uh, we are responsible for helping other people understand. Now, some people are just brainwashed and they're gone, but we all know people that are, are still looking for the truth. They're open-minded and this book is just perfect for them. So use it as a resource, but you know, you'll be really edified and really inspired through the reading of it. I'm glad to hear that. I, I, it sounds from your tone that you don't expect to stay through the second half of the show. Uh, we hadn't talked about that, so I didn't know if you'd be available to stay and take calls or not. Oh, I, I could do that. Um, oh, good. Uh, do, are we getting a break here? Yeah, there's a break in. I don't know, Derek, what do we got, like two minutes? Yeah. So in about two minutes, we'll be doing a commercial break of about uh, three minutes in length, four minutes in length, and... Uh, I don't think I'll be able to talk to you during that period of time because you're on the phone and it doesn't work that way. So yeah, we'll just yeah. have to, yeah. But one thing, I, a comment I wanted to make about term limits is and education, I think they're very much intertwined in that our founding fathers envisioned a voting populace that was much more, like you said, critical thinking than currently today. And so I don't think they thought we needed term limits because voters were the term limits, like many feel today. And that even if you term limited somebody today with the way the voters are indoctrinated, they would just vote for somebody else of the same, you know, somebody who's just interchangeable, you know, okay, take that person out. Here's different names, same policy, same person, just different name. In fact, I expect to see some politician do that soon, change their name, just to get back on the ballot again. Well, I think voters will, will should vote in their own self-interest. And so the, the question that they need to ask themselves as each election comes up is, are they better off today under this under the present government uh, than they were before that government uh, took power? And when the answer is no, we're worse off, you vote 
the party out. You vote the candidate and the party out of office, and you vote for the alternative because that's... Look, the founders knew that people are busy. They're not going to understand domestic policy. They're not going to understand foreign policy, but they have common sense because God gave them common sense. Okay, so Scott, if they, we got 30 if they, seconds. If they uh, vote in their, in, their, in their own interest, you'll, you will generally have better government over time. Okay, great. Folks, come on back after the break, 822-1600, 734-822-1600. Join us with my guest, Scott Powell. we got 15 seconds. Enjoy the music and come on back. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Welcome back to Your American Heritage. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ed Bondarenka. Joining me today is Scott Powell, the author of Rediscovering America, which is sort of a history of America told by the uh, telling of stories concerning its its national holidays. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking forward to reading the book during the break. My wife said, can we get the book? Can we get the book? Can we read it to me? Can we read it together? And I certainly will. And once again, today is Constitution Day. So happy Constitution Day, the day that celebrates actually the real birth of America as we know it today and and where the framework was set. You know, the Constitution is supposed to be what holds this country together because it's not national. I'm sorry, it's not, oh, ethnic identity. It's certainly not ethnic identity. It's certainly not religious identity. It's the fundamental of what do we believe and how do we treat each other? It's the rules for the club, so to speak. Did I sum that up somewhat well, Scott? Or? You sure did. You sure did. Oh, good. That's a relief. So, um, well, you know, the we're founders, taking calls. Just to elaborate a little bit more, the founders, although they were, they were almost to a man uh, Christian, there are some people that have debated that that Franklin was a deist and uh, they questioned Jefferson's Christianity, but it's it's largely uh, been disproved. It's, it is disproven if you just go into and you understand uh, who they were. Uh, you know, uh, Christianity is a very is a very big tent, and the thirteen colonies uh, were all uh, oriented around uh, Christian beliefs. Maryland, for instance, was a state that attracted Catholics. Uh, Anglicans came to Virginia. Um, you, you know. Um, Calvinists came to Massachusetts. The, the Dutch Reformed came to New Jersey and New York. And each of those have slightly different understandings, but they basically recognize that Christ was God's Savior, God's Son, sent to the world uh, to re- redeem uh, us of our sin and liberate us to live a full life. So the, the founders were, had differences of views and they recognized that it was important to ensure that there be religious freedom, and that is f- freedom for people not to believe as well. So the, the founding of the, of the country is not a theistic founding where everyone must be of a certain belief, but rather 
recognizing that God in his uh, infinite personality uh, has space for all people uh, of different beliefs. And uh, yes, the, the people that, that believe in, in uh, uh, biblical truths, the, the Mosaic Law, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, those, those people sh- should rule because they're going to establish the order that enables all people to live successfully together. Um, and, and unfortunately, that modernity has stripped that understanding away so that religious people are thought to be separate from the public square. No, religious people are to inform the public square, to participate in it. But, but that doesn't mean that people would be, uh, that, it, that it would be a, you know, an intolerant society. No, it's a, it's a, it, tolerance is so important, and we have to talk, we, we tolerate people who don't believe and, and love them as well. I frankly believe that if Christians lived their lives as Christians and were given actually a fair hearing in the marketplace and, and in, the, in the, when I say the marketplace, I should say the town square, which has become a marketplace of, of, uh, of ideas of the town square is being bought and sold these days, different story. But, you know, if Christians weren't portrayed the way they are in the media, uh, then we'd have more of an influence on the country, and we'd have the, an opportunity to influence more what's going on, and, and there'd be more of us to actually influence what's going on. Um, I'm reading this this uh, webpage called constitutionday.com. I was reading it this morning, and I recommend it. It's not any big shakes or anything. Copy the Constitution and uh, bios of the founding fathers, and I was, you know, struck as I read through these. You know, there were... Uh, uh, so-and-so uh, uh, professor of divinity at Yale and governor at the time, uh, Abraham Baldwin, all, you know, uh, Richard Bassett. I'm just going to go through these, you know, kind of randomly, you know, uh, uh, divinity. These people were were believers. They were influenced and informed. And even the ones who weren't what we would consider a, a standard Christian were influenced by Christian thinking, the, the Christian thinking uh, informed their political beliefs of liberty and and equality for mankind that each man is created equal, not equity but equality. We have a we have a caller on the phone. I'm not surprised. Uh, Joe from Wyandotte is calling. He has a comment about Constitution Day. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, there. You know, Happy Constitution Day, but there are kind of two different ones. We in the Wayne 12th usually have a Constitution dinner every March 4th. So to make the distinction between the time it was ratified versus the time it was actually went into effect. But what I really wanted to call about was, uh, since we're talking history here, and so woefully inadequately taught in schools. I, I think it was the Bradford Colony. I'm having a bit of a, a brain fart here uh, for certainty. But the point being, the colony was the first experimentation of communism long before Marx and Lenin and Shea and, and, and Castro and Stalin and all them, and it failed. No one owned anything. They 
were a commonwealth. And as human nature is, some people would do more, but most would be lazy and do the bare minimum. And they literally almost starved out of existence until, uh, again, I think it was Bradford, had the epiphany, communism doesn't work. Private property ownership and intellectual ownership of self matters. They instituted capitalism, the colony thrived, and the United States thrived thereafter. The rest is history, as they say, right? Yes. Yes. In fact, I assume, I had not having read your book, uh, uh, Scott, uh, you addressed that on your Thanksgiving Day uh, chapter. Yes, no, what he said is absolutely true. Uh, the It was the Virginia... A company that sponsored uh, the Pilgrims, sponsored the Mayflower, supplied them with the ship and 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 the crew, and gave them uh, sort of a uh, a deal, if you will, that um, it was to apply when they arrived in the Virginia territories, because that's where they were destined. And it was bad weather, stormy weather uh, that 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 diverted them. Uh, to, to New England, so they were really out of their original territory, and that's one reason. Hand of God. That, yeah, it was the hand of God, and that they formed the Mayflower Compact, but they still carried over uh, the things that were expected of them from their sponsoring company, and one of, one of those was that they would uh, share things as a community, and and and, and uh, so it wasn't a formalized socialist system. It was just a recognition that they all went to one place and that they would share everything in common, uh, take care of each other, and then also look to develop, uh, you know, some business to pay back their, you know, their sponsors uh, over time. But the sponsors, I think, were economically illiterate. Remember that in those days, 1620, that was about 150 years before Adam Smith articulated in the, in the Wealth of Nations why it is that, that property, uh, labor, and capital work together so well uh, you know, to lift all boats and, and to provide for prosperity. And that's the free market system, of course. It was just not really understood, but... Uh, you're right. In his wisdom, Bradford recognized that the system of, of community ownership, if you will, was not working. And so he parceled up all the land and gave it to each one of the families so they could farm private lots and they, they prospered thereafter. It's a great story. There's a biblical principle involved there. Uh, I believe it's if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Right. <laughs> right. Pretty simple. And uh, I like what Bill Federer pointed out to us once that um, when the Mayflower, con when the when the Bradford, uh, when the, the the Mayflower beached, so to speak, they found themselves. Well, who's the boss? Because we don't have a a company to report to. We don't have, a, you know, contact with the Queen. Who's going to be the boss? And they said, okay, we are. And they they decided to set up rules. And uh, I think that was basically the start of a trend towards what we experience today. Yeah, self-government started with the Mayflower Compact. Yeah. So, Joe, anything else before you go? We got another caller on the phone. Oh, Joe hung up. Thanks, Derek. So, we have Phil from Detroit. Phil? 
join us. Howdy, howdy. Yeah, no, another Hi. great show. Uh, you always do an outstanding job. But uh, you know who I'd like to hear on the show would be uh, having Pat Colbeck sit in with you because right now all these solutions involve us voting this way and that way. Uh, but un- unless we can regain uh, our election protocol and take it to where it was pre-pandemic, okay, uh, it, it, nothing has changed since they uh, stole our country uh, from under us. Nothing's changed. Uh, yeah, there have been some again. some uh, exposure of some of the shenanigans. Uh, actually, Pat's been on the show a few times, uh, actually a number of times. He's on the very first show, in fact. He's got his latest book out. Uh, the um, Oh, my goodness, Derek, help me. The I open my show with the words every day, the theft of the American government, uh, something word. Yeah, never mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the coup. The coup, the 2020 coup. There we go. Thanks, there Derek. There we go. So, but, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to they, uh, put the uh, the abortion uh, thing on, on the ballot so where they can steal that again. But, you know, that's where it's incumbent upon us to work hard to inform our fellow voters, you know, against the tide of the media, to you know, and to pray hard. To I mean, once again, we're looking at the Mayflower the ship, the Mayflower, I keep wanting to say the Mayflower Compact. The Mayflower was headed in one direction and God said, not exactly where I want you to be today. And they ended up somewhere totally foreign to them and and, and hard and not what they expected. But look what's come of it. And we have to pray that God does similar today, that he, that he takes control of us and that he puts um, stuff in motion that as I pray at the you know at the beginning of every show that God would stand up and defend us and that He would direct our paths and that He would put up walls in front of our enemy, cause confusion in the enemy camp. That this can happen and we can't be defeatist. We am I right, Scott? Absolutely right. And and to your earlier caller, I would say so. What what do we do about you know the fact that vote fraud hasn't been completely addressed in in uh, I guess he's speaking about in Michigan. Was that right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the the answer to that is that we all know we all know people that um, might not vote uh, that don't understand the issues so well. So we are called to be a light to other people in darkness and to educate them and and to remind them that this this time around is so important to vote. So we need to help mobilize uh, voters, and then those of us who who are more mature uh, and and care, we need to volunteer to uh, you know to work in the polling places, to oversee the vote counting tables, and and to uh, participate in the process in such a way that our presence deters uh, vote fraud. But we've got to get the vote out in a massive way because we've got to overcome the fraud that will probably creep in. Uh, and, and so the answer is massive votes to save our country. And everybody can see that under Biden, it's all going wrong, and it's going down very fast. Five million people have crossed over the southern border since he came to office. That, that, that is absolutely shocking and appalling. But it is a willful plan 
to destroy our country. So once people understand that the Democrat Party is trying to destroy our country, not to reform it, not to, re- not to, ch- to really change it, but to take it down. Now, not all Democrats really buy into that, but many of the leaders do. They see a future in a new world order where America will just be one, uh, you know, one locality in a new globalist system. And that, of course, is absolutely crazy. Uh, it's been tried. It fails. You know, we need accountability with local government. Uh, we need sovereignty. Uh, uh, you know, we, we need uh, to, to support the nation state of America because a global order is an utterly corrupt and abusive order. It'll be a, it'll be a tyranny, the likes of which we've never seen. No, exactly. Exactly. In fact, that would probably be what is what is described in the book of Revelation. Yes, and, uh, yes, yes, yes. So actually we and, see it. When these people are they're walking around, they tell you what they want. The, the World Economic Forum, and headed by Klaus Schwab, they describe what they, who they are and what they want. And they want to remake the world. They want the world to, to become one large body. They, they want to depopulate the world dramatically. How do you do that? Uh, you're, uh, you know, you do it through many different ways, but we clearly can see that the vaccine regime that was imposed on the world is taking a lot of lives. What's next? Uh, there are many ways uh, that don't involve gas chambers and ovens to depopulate the world. And Omnicide. Uh, are you referring yeah. to omnicide? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people so, who believe that this is this is part of the the uh, effort to you know I'm reminded and it always surprises me that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, with this guy Thanos who basically wants these rings of power so that he can eliminate half the population of the galaxy universe, whatever it was, and this is this is the guy that wants to do what Carl. Sch- you know, Schwab, what the World Economic Forum wants to do, what all these uh, elitists want to do is, you know, eliminate half the population. And it's actually more, it always they, surprises they me that he was portrayed as the bad guy. By 75 to 80%. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard for people to wrap their head around that. You know, I got to say that uh, Joe from uh, uh, Joe from Wyandotte, is often called into this show like he did today. And and he's often pointing out that uh, the statistic is that 40% of Christians are not registered as voters. And that there's, that's, there's that's our, our opportunity. Loss. There's our opportunity. Let's get them registered. And that has, and that in, in a lot is to deal with the pastors who are afraid to speak from the pulpit on these issues. Pastors who won't who are afraid of uh, uh, alienating one or two of their their uh, their congregation, or they're afraid of the IRS coming after them, which I don't think has ever happened. Certainly doesn't happen in liberal churches. So there's a precedent for uh, ignoring the Johnson Amendment, and you know that's just. And if you have to drop, if you have to drop your uh, 501c3 to to speak properly, then do it. What's more important, serve God or, or serve Mammon? It's Pastors need to motivate the Black Robe Regiment or the Black Robe Brigade. And uh, I'm going to have uh, guests on in the future to speak more about that. Uh, uh, the previous show, Moment of Clarity, uh, the, the, guest ho- the guest speaker on that was uh, Pastor Jeff Noble. And I've heard his 
heard his sermons and he talks about, you know, political issues because, hey, we live in a country where if you don't talk about abortion, then abortion is going to stay the law of the land. If you don't talk about, you know, stealing the vote, then the vote gets stolen. And then Christians are not being salt and they're not being light. Your turn. Right. That, that's what we're called to be. So what is the salt? A lot of people, they think that, oh, that's so, you know, it makes it salty. No, the salt was used in early history, in biblical times and thereafter for many, many, uh, really, uh, centuries and centuries as a preservative. So we're, we're called to preserve the truth, preserve what is good. And that's where we are, the salt. And we need a lot of salt because, uh, you know, the, the enemy wants to tear down our our heritage and our history. So we need to preserve it, and then we need to be the light. And the light shines into the darkness. And there is so much darkness today that the opportunity uh, to be a light is really uh, very large, huge. Yeah, so it's a growth opportunity, right? We have, we have uh, you know, people, entrepreneurs look for growth opportunities, and there is one. If you want to see your return on investment, hey, invest in the <laughs> kingdom and invest in, in people around you, and you can you can grow this country. You can get it back to what it needs to be. I, I often play audio clips when I'm at a loss for something to say, but I want to play something for you that before it goes, before the time gets away from us. And, and it has to do with the Constitution. So if you can bear with me and if you can bear with listening to this, give me a second. We are looking at a midterm election in which so much is on the line. Take, for example, the issue of choice. The United States Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision just took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the women of America, from the people of America. There's so much going on there about the midterms in particular, but the fact that this woman who is supposed to have a law degree is supposed to be the vice president of the United States and supposed to understand what constitutional means would say that Americans had a constitutional right taken away when it's the Supreme Court that determines what's in the Constitution or not, which they wrongly did in Roe and rightly did in Dobbs. Right, right. And remember, so, all rights <clears throat> come from God, and, and God would not give the right for people to kill other people. Uh, and that, that's, uh, and uh, you know, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Well, when does life begin? Many people believe it, 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 it is right at conception. So we cannot take life. Uh, that's biblical. And people need to understand that. It's not a political issue. It's a question of, in- of God's order and God's God-given rights. And every, everyone conceived has, uh, is, you know, is to be brought into this world with all the opportunity that God gives uh, to all of us who uh, want to seize it. In, in Michigan, we're facing an abomination of a referendum which would give us uh, abortion similar to China and North Korea. And uh, people have to realize this is not your Roe v. Wade. This is uh, beyond beyond uh, uh, partial birth abortion, but it actually walks into uh, transgenitalism and the like, and, and the abuse of children and their their health along those lines. So we've been talking to Scott Powell, who is the author of Rediscovering America. And uh, 
I highly recommend you get this book, even though I haven't read it. I'm more than willing to recommend that you get it because I'm going to get it. And perhaps we'll have Scott on on another holiday. Uh, it's been very interesting talking to you, sir. Uh, we're coming up in the music very shortly. Do you have any parting words? You got about 20 seconds. Well, you know, we were we were all created to have uh, fulfilling lives, uh, to have joy and meaning and dignity in our lives. And the world has, uh, particularly in the present world, has taken that away from us. So think of this book, Rediscovering America, as a, as a soldier would think about going into battle. And Folks, thanks for listening to Your American Heritage. Tune in next week. God bless America and America bless God. The United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith. Faith. faith politics. Politics. History. History. And current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will not be hosting today's edition of Moment of Clarity. Instead, Ed Bondarenka and Phil Stargell will be the hosts for today's program, and they will be joining you shortly. But in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a Moment on Sports, Part 1. 35 years ago on September 19th, the Michigan Wolverines football team destroyed the Washington State Cougars 44-18. Allen Jefferson tallied 119 rushing yards, 70 of which came on his touchdown run, and Jamie Morris registered touchdown carries of 2 yards and 1 yard, as well as 102 rushing yards. John Colasar caught a 25-yard touchdown pass from Demetrius Brown, who scored on a 12-yard touchdown run and amassed 174 passing yards on eight pass completions. The Michigan defense recorded 34 tackles for lost yards, five pass breakups, one fumble recovery, and three interceptions. Now, here's your Moment of Clarity hosts for today's program, Ed Bondarenka and Phil Stargell. Arg! Strike the colors, hoist the black flag. We're taking this hour. Arg! Arr, matey! Yeah. Uh, except Pastor Rick is fine, but he's being held hostage at the big house by U of M fans. He cannot get out. Um, we have a guest. He's trying to connect. Uh, Derek, can you try connecting with our guest one more time on Facebook? He managed to get in Facebook. My goodness, on Skype and see how that goes. How are you doing today, Phil? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It's a, it's a beautiful day, and it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. As well, thanks, Mr. Rogers. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, just doing, uh, just taking it easy and uh, getting ready for a, a, a full-fledged uh, protection and uh, of 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 uh, the final rights, this uh, you know, if we don't do something and make a big move, you know, our rights are gone. Straight yep. up the river. Today is Constitution Day, and I got to tell you, exactly. I am relieved because our guest just appeared. 
<laughs> Joining us today is Pastor Jeff Noble. He's the pastor of Four Winds Church. He's also the host of In the Word on this station. So that makes him a co-broadcaster with us. And uh, welcome aboard, matey. Hey, Ed, thank you so much. So sorry. Man, whenever you put me in charge of technology, whenever I have to do something out of the norm, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pen and paper guy. And when I start doing this technical stuff, man, I get all befuzzled. If that's even a word. <laughs> well, I was I was going to be a pastor, but then I realized I'd have to give up all my technical skills, and I just <laughs> actually my pastor is a he's very proficient with technology. It says pretty uh, good guy, computer programmer, and all that. Um, so, like I said, welcome aboard. So uh, you are the pastor of Four Winds Church, host of. In the Word, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. And former state representative, so you have some political skills, too. Uh, I don't know about skills, but we were there for two years anyway. Okay, well, you know how it works. And yes, so I had talked to you, oh, I don't know, over a year ago in the hopes of having you on uh, Your American Heritage, um, talking about grief. Because I, I know you had recently lost your wife, Myra Kay. I never knew her um, I followed you on Facebook and uh, followed her her ups and downs. I know you went through that sense of loss, and I've met some other people who have, uh, you know, had that sense of loss recently. Uh, oh, I had a guest, Stacy Ogansich, who lost her husband uh, to uh, actually to medical malpractice uh, regarding yeah. COVID, as many yeah. have. And well, then, uh, yeah. And then my father-in-law, he recently lost his wife. And I thought, and, and my best friend died. And, of course, his wife, who's a good friend of mine, she had to deal with that. So, you know, you read the Kubler-Ross stuff. And uh, I personally have not suffered from grief. Uh, I lost my grandfather at a young age, lost my mom. But I didn't go through a grieving process. And I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a sociopath. So I thought I'd talk to yeah. you about it, <laughs> being a pastor and, uh, you know, some of you has to counsel others. And who is, you know, that's one thing about most pastors. They can't counsel people regarding marriage and divorce because most of them haven't been divorced. But many of them have lost somebody. and know that sense of grief and are good at, at counseling people along those lines. And so I, I thought I'd start us off with a definition of Miriam Webster. This is not the woke uh, definition of Greece, thank God, from Merriam-Webster. They haven't done that yet, but it's a deep and poignant distress or uh, uh, a cause of such suffering. Uh, life's joys and griefs, trouble, annoyance, an annoying or playful criticism. I mean, it's actually decreasing in, in volume as it gets down the list. You know, you get down to where it's Charlie Brown and good grief. And that's not the grief I was hoping to talk with you today about. And right. so um, I had mentioned to you that when I was thinking of topics for this, besides the Kubler-Ross stuff, which I'm not quite sure about, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Dabda, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Let me go ahead. No, no, that's, you that's, you're right. That's, that's Dabda. That's, that, that's the five stages of grief. Grief. Um, yeah, that's very, you know, and that's thrown around an awful lot. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on your show, Ed. I really appreciate it. You are, uh, 
uh, you know, a, a great uh, human being and, and you love God <laughs> and I'm just very proud of that. So thank you for, for doing what you do and keep fighting that good fight. Um, I think the issue, the, the thing that I've learned and the thing that, that, that I've talked with a lot of folks about is that grief is different for everyone. Uh, there is no set rule. There is no set formula. Uh, there is no, you know, one size fits all when it comes to grief. Um, I had the pleasure and the honor of knowing my bride for 34 years, uh, actually 39 years. We dated for five years before we got married. Um, she is my only wife. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, all will be only will be. Uh, yeah. but, uh, unless God has some other plan, but but we had six years of sickness, and we were able to talk through, prepare for uh, her uh, her final home going. Uh, she would joke oftentimes we'd be in the hospital room, and she says, "I'm already looking for your next wife," and I would lovingly look at her and say, "I've already done my time, Warden," um, you know, and uh, letting her. Uh, let it, sorry, my, my phone's going off there. I apologize. Um, but, uh, you know, all of those things, I, I said, I've already done my time. You know, I, I love you. That's good. Um, but I had time to prepare for grief. You know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity. You mentioned your friend that medical malpractice where they go into the hospital, they put them on a ventilator and they die. Um, uh, we had a friend in our church uh, who was who had COVID, and they were trying to put him on a ventilator, and his wife fought it, you know, tooth and nail. And she finally asked, "How many people have come off that ventilator?" And he said, "Well, we've had none so far." So it just went on and on and on. Um, Life of a pastor. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that's just the way it is. Uh, I apologize very much for having my phone, um, uh, you know, ringing during the show here. So anyway, I just tell you that uh, that that's just the way that. Uh, that uh, it uh, it goes, um, and, and and but you've you've got to you've got to you've got to meet people where they are. And I had to come to the realization that I was going to lose my wife, and I was going to cherish every day. And then afterwards, I was going to have to figure out what life actually was without her. And it was a slow process. I got with folks that I I uh, had the similar circumstance, but again, everybody has to deal with different. One lady that we we talk with on a regular basis, she lost her husband just. Out of nowhere, um, the next uh, the next person was um, uh, you know had a had a two year plan or two year process, and so it just goes on and on and on, man. Everybody's different, and uh, you've just got to meet people where they are, and uh, and take it one. And it sounds like a cliche, but you really take it one day at a time. But if you keep your eyes on Christ, He makes those days much more valuable and much more uh, much more. Uh, you know, fulfilling, uh, and not so much mourning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I want to introduce you to my friend, Phil Stargell, co-host uh, of Moment of Clarity. You know, as you know, we, this is not my show. Uh, I co-host with Pastor Rick Dietering. So yep. uh, we needed some pastoral guidance here. That's why you're aboard. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, greetings. Good afternoon. It is a pleasure. I've, uh, we met, I believe, before, but I just wanted to ask you, uh, in your case, uh, after a long, successful marriage, and and then uh, uh, one of the parties leaves, and so you are a preacher. You deal with this. You 
you have a, a body of people around you and uh, things are just about the same, your life won't change. So many people uh, that go through this grieving thing have to grieve alone. You've got a family, a family and a church family. That is, uh, that makes, that's got to make it easier. Plus you've got your relationship with your God. Amen. And you have, you have a very, very good uh, landing in this, but there are a lot of people that uh, don't have that. They, 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 uh, they, once they separate in that, in that time of, of uh, you know, at home going, man, it can be rough. And I, and I know people that have had a rough uh, landing, you know. And sure. Well, along those lines. It, it, what, what do you recommend uh, that those people in that position well, I, I think it's important, uh, Phil, and it's a real good question because you're right. There are some folks, but but we as a church need to need to play heads up ball. Basically, I am so sorry that uh, uh, <laughs> uh, this just goes on and on and on. Um, uh, oh, excuse me a second before you answer. I think you were on my very first broadcast when I actually wasn't because I couldn't get anything to work. <laughs> 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 so it's okay. So, but but Phil, to answer your question, I think it's it's important for the church and the people of faith to 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 be to to look for those opportunities with people around us. Because you're right, there's some folks that are by themselves. Mike, I'm telling you what, man, my phone is going to blow up all day today. <laughs> I'm gonna try to turn this thing off so we don't have to listen. There to you that. go. There we go. Sorry, pastors have a hard time doing that sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, but I, Phil, I would just tell you that the church needs to needs to be heads up on stuff like that. There are people around us, you know, I, a neighbor across the street from where I live. Um, you know, I found out uh, two months after the fact that his wife had passed away. And I felt so bad about that because I should have been more attentive uh, to the people that are around me every day. Now, I don't know him very well. I've tried to talk to him and reach out to him. But but the fact is, I had no idea. And, and he didn't bother to share it with me, obviously. But I think the church needs to be more aware of the people that we are around and not let them have to endure these things on their on their uh, on their own. But you're right. I I have a wonderful church family. Um, you know, I've served in this area since 1999 with 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 one basic church. It just kind of morphed into other other works, but uh, uh, the same group of people uh, through the years. And they were very supportive. They all loved my wife. They tolerated me, but they loved my wife. <laughs> and uh, and I know and, the feeling. Oh yeah, they 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 just uh, they thought she was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and so did I. But um, uh, but but you know, at the same time, don't discount the fact that that even though you're surrounded by a bunch of people, they still will never know the pain and never understand the 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 issues. Because what you said about life doesn't really change for me. In in a lot of ways, it does. Uh, in a lot of ways, for a grieving individual, we have to understand um, when they're used to, you know, sharing a meal with somebody for 34 years, and all of a sudden you're sitting across the table looking at an empty chair. Uh, that has an impact. 
when you go to bed at night and you're used to sharing your bed with uh, with your bride and, and your, your your lover, um, and and then she's not there, that does have an impact. My biggest struggle uh, when she died was at night. When, when everything else was done, when all the ministry things were finished, when all the visits were done, when all the studying was done, and then I sat down, that was the hardest time for me because that's when my mind began to go and began mm. about the loss and the missing her. And I knew she was with Jesus. There wasn't any question about that. And she wouldn't want to come back here for any reason. Uh, but, you know, in quite frankly, in my selfishness, uh, I wanted her here, and, uh, and and when I kept myself busy, I was fine. It was that time at night, just before you go to bed, and and you and you got to go into that room by yourself, and you say your prayers by yourself, and all of those things, and I mean, you, you just will never understand that kind of pain. And, and we've got to meet people where they are, let them know that they are loved by Jesus, that they are encouraged by the body of Christ, and that they do not have to endure this stuff by themselves. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. You know, and once again, there's, I think I, I mentioned it, you know, there's grief, belief, relief, and I think there's also guilt. And we have time through the rest of this hour to, to talk along those lines. And so to some a number of people I know. In fact, I was talking to my a friend of mine last night at dinner uh, and a new friend we made. Um, and she had lost her husband a couple years ago. She was my fifth grade school teacher. <laughs> we reconnected. Oh, wow. We went to dinner last night. It was, well, it she's was about 118 then, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thanks. I just had to throw yeah. that in there. So how's your guess? So, I, you know, mine was she too. lost her husband. <laughs> but it took a while. It wasn't sudden. And I think, as in your case, there can be a distinction between sudden and um, not so sudden, you know, a prolonged and you have time to prepare, you have time to prepare. And so in some degree, it's especially if you know that your loved one, this is where belief comes in, especially if you know that your loved one is saved and like Phil referred to, you know, it's a home going Mm -hmm. and you know that going to cross over God's golden, you know, the golden shore. In fact, doggone it, there was a sound clip that I was going to play and it was actually Rod Stewart singing, um, sing a man of constant sorrow. And he talks about it, you know, and it's a very plaintive song and it says, but I know I'll see you on God's golden shore. Right. You know, there's, there's that waiting. And so, I hate to ask you this on air live. You can ask me anything, brother. I am an was open there book. a sense of was there a sense of relief that Myra was no longer in that pain? Absolutely, and 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 again, as a believer, um, as as one, and, and her, quite frankly, I'll tell you, when we first got married, her faith was was so much strong. Probably even our whole marriage, her faith was stronger than mine. There were times when I wanted to go, you know, God, this doesn't make any sense. And she she would say, it doesn't have to make sense. It's just God's yeah. plan. I mean, so she was she was a an amazing woman. But absolutely, you know, when you when your wife gets to the place where she doesn't really know who you are anymore, and you try to keep a smiling face and you try to keep that positive attitude, she asked me one time, she said, So how many kids do you have? 
And and I I said, well, you and I have three together. Oh, really? So I mean, oh. it was, it got really. It, it, it wasn't, it was part of the medication, part of the things they were doing in the header on so much medication for pain. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say that, that there was a moment uh, when she finally passed that I, I said, Lord, thank you for, for stopping this because um, for a while that they had her in restraints because she would get up out of bed um, and, and, and my bride of 34 years and, and, uh, for 30 years, you know, we were going to the beach together and holding hands together. And, and, uh, then she began to lose appendages and she began to use loose fingers and, um, and all because of her diabetes and her congestive heart failure and her uh, renal failure and all those things. And, and, and absolutely, I was like, God, thank you so much for taking my lovely bride home because it was painful for me to watch her. I mean, literally, I was losing her a piece at a time, and uh, and and nobody nobody would ever understand that or comprehend that unless they've been right there. So yeah, I, and I, and I think that's okay because I knew that when she breathed her last here, she was going to breathe her first there, um, uh, and 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 that gave me great peace and great comfort. Uh, so uh, I, I know there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. There is no more tears. You and I got to deal with all this junk here for as long as God has us on this uh, terra firma. But, you know, she is in glory and she is with my father and 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 she will await uh, that time when uh, when she and I can once again see each other. Amen. Phil, you got any comment on that? Well, I'm, I'm uh, amazed and, you know, I've thought about this in in times uh, because I I I not not a regular attendee of, of uh, you know any any church and yeah we noticed but you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> see Phil we got three services one at six o'clock on Saturday and two, one on eight thirty on Sunday morning one at eleven o'clock on Sunday you got choice brother uh, and what you just said it, it it brings home the fact that the reason why i brought it up is because you know uh i've been very fortunate in, in my life uh you know i've had a lot of you know people family pass on but you know uh you know i'm getting up to that age you know and i think that that is uh, one thing that uh, that we all should be looking at is you know, you might have to carry on alone, and boy, you know, it, it probably would help if uh, you did have uh, a regular group of people that you could be around for a while. And I, you know, I, 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 from what you just said, it's astounding that that you. I, I know you got much comfort from the people that were in your congregation. Let me tell you this too. I think this is an important thing because I get calls from funeral homes all the time to come and do services with people that don't have their own pastor. And, and I consider that a blessing to be able to invest in the life of some folks that are at their worst times. And, and then what I will do is I will try to bring them comfort. But they'll oftentimes ask me, is my loved one in heaven? And, and I, I don't know. I can't make that decision. If they didn't have a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ, then no, they're not in heaven. But I'm not going to tell them that. 
But what I am going to tell them is I said, here's three things that I think your loved one would want you to know. Number one, Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. Number two, that heaven is a real place. And number three is today is the day to make that decision to follow Christ. I said, that's what your loved one would want you to know. Now, it doesn't. I didn't tell them that they were in heaven or that they were in hell, but that is the truth. Wherever they are, they know that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. They know that heaven is a real place, and they may not be there, but they know now that heaven is a real place. And they know that they should have made that decision while they still had breath in their lungs and not stepped off into eternity without that. So I think those are wonderful opportunities to remind folks, you know, when the Bible says today is the day of salvation, we need to emphasize that and encourage folks to, to make that 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 uh, decision uh, to walk with God. That way, when you get to the end of your lives, there's not someone up there lying about what kind of a great person you were. They know you, they loved you, they invested in you, and, and they can tell the congregation, yes, they knew Jesus, and yes, they are in the presence of the Lord. And that was great comfort to me with my wife. I didn't have any question that she was going to pass into glory and, and, and go from life to life, just like the Bible said. And there's great comfort in that, man, a whole lot. We have about a minute left um, before we go to commercial break. And I'd, I'd like to open the phone lines up, 734-822-1600. Now, I'll be frank, I don't want to hear your life story, but if you have something to contribute, you know, uh, some insight you have about grief or a question for the pastor, Please join us. Come on back in about 30 seconds, right? The music started. I don't hear the music, Derek. Okay, thanks. Join us with Pastor Noble and with uh, Phil Stargell and myself, Ed Bondarenka. Pastor Richard Dietering on Wham. Pastor Rick will not be hosting today's program. Instead, Ed Bondarenka and Phil Stargell are hosting, and they will be with you shortly. But in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with another moment on sports. Ninety years ago, on September 23rd, the Detroit Tigers annihilated the St. Louis Browns 12 to nothing. Frank Doljack, Billy Rogel, JoJo White, Nolan Richardson, G. Walker, and Gene DeSaltels each drove in at least one run. Doljack utilized a pair of singles to plate Charlie Geringer, Earl Whitehill, and Harry Davis. Rogel doubled to send home Davis, Frank Doljack, and Walker. White singled to score Geringer and Doljack. Richardson singled to plate Billy Rogel and doubled to send home JoJo White. G. Walker singled to score Davis and DeSaltels doubled to plate Nolan Richardson. Whitehill allowed three hits and recorded two strikeouts for his 16th win of 1932. Now here's your Moment of Clarity hosts for today's program, Ed Bondarenka and Phil Stargell. Hi, welcome back. Our guest is Pastor Jeff Noble, Four Winds Church, and we're talking about grief, and I wanted to... Uh, play something for you I talked about earlier and let's see if that works.
constant sorrow I've seen trouble all my day I say goodbye to Colorado Where I was born and probably raised Your mother says I'm a stranger My face you'll never see no more But there's one promise, darling See you on God's golden shore. Yep, yep. So there is that promise. I'll see you on God's golden shore. Unfortunately, in the song, he goes on to talk about robbing the next day's mail train, but that's a whole different story, isn't it? I don't care that song in the Baptist hymnal, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, once again, folks, if you want to call in, 734-822-1600 is the number. And uh, we're not going to do grief counseling, but uh, there are people who, there are different things that happen here, even people who believe in God. I mean, one of the Kubler-Ross things, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, I've, I've seen it in some people I've known who had a sudden loss, and it's like, What's God doing? You know, what? why did God do this to me? As if, you know, we deserve better. That's an interesting take in itself, just that we feel we deserve better. And uh, I think sometimes, especially in the American gospel, we think we have stuff coming to us because we've gotten so used to having stuff coming to us. But, you know, to get angry with God, it's, I know that David got angry. One story I'm hearing a lot from a lot of preachers on air this week are uh, the story of the cart and the covenant and uh, the driver reaching over to keep it from falling. And basically God strikes him dead for violating mm -hmm. his law. And David gets angry with God, says, that does it, cart stays here. You know, walks away. Wasn't exactly grief, but there's that anger with God thing as if we know a little bit more than God knows or... To some, you know, then there's questions about, well, will I be with my husband or my wife in heaven because there is no marriage in heaven? And, you know, you want to dissemble on that a bit? Me? Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not okay. asking Phil. Phil doesn't go to church. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I look at I look at the the ability. You know, I I think it's kind of a a moot point to be angry with God, but I think God's shoulders are big enough to handle it. And I think there's times when we all kind of say, Lord, I don't, I, I mean, there were many times when I was leaving the hospital, you know, and I was saying, Lord, I just don't understand this. You know, I, I don't get why, you know, I, we, we, and, and you begin to say things like, you know, we, we prayed for healing and, uh, and, you know, and sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says no. And, and I just wasn't really ready for the no answer, but, but I think God's, Shoulders are big enough to handle uh, us being able to vent to him, and he loves us nonetheless. And and he he uh, gives us that that ability to come before him with confidence. And so, uh, and I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, God, I don't get this, but I'm going to trust in you nonetheless. And I know that you've got a plan and a purpose. Um, and then uh, you know you you mentioned the uh, the uh, denial and anger and bargaining and depression and then. Uh, uh, acceptance, all of those stages, those can fluctuate as well. You can go in and out of different parts of that. 
uh, throughout the whole process. But I don't think you ever, I mean, I'm a year and a half after my wife's passing and, and I, I, I guess I've accepted her passing, but I, I'm, I'm not accepting, I'm not, I'm not at, well, I can't say that either. It, the, there is a, there is a weird, there is not a new normal that everyone keeps saying, well, you got a new normal now. You got to get, find that new normal. It, it's going to be normal, you know, until yeah. I go be with, and, and I'm not going to, she's going to be my wife in heaven, but my best friend will be there. And, uh, and uh, my sister in Christ will be there. And I, I find that very comforting as well. So, um, you know, I, 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 I guess we just have to be willing to, you know, Job said it best he, he, when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die after he'd lost everything? I mean, everything that he had except his wife and he, and they're standing on the hill looking over their, their, their entire uh, uh, fortune and fields and, and flocks and all that. It's all gone. And he, he, she says, why don't you curse God and die? I don't think she was being like sarcastic and just, well, you know, God's being mean to us. I think she was just worn out. I think she was just down and, and she was looking to her husband for some comfort. And her husband says, he says, he says, woman, are we supposed to just take the good and not the bad? You know, uh, understand that this is something that we as Christians sign on to, to say, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so he said, Whatever you're going to endure, it's already come through my hands before it ever gets to you. So just rejoice in the midst of those struggles. Continue to worship and serve me. And he says, I will get you through this life. And and I find that very, very satisfying. And when you get to that place where you can accept that, I mean, come what may. You know, you you cannot, I just got a letter from the IRS, unexpected tax bill that I wasn't looking for. And my first response was, IRS, you know, and I said, you know what? God knew this before the creation of the world. What if I worry about this? It's going to work out fine. It's going to be okay. And I think we have to look at all situations like this. And this is where you get, you get through the grief. You never get over the grief, but you get through the grief. And then you begin to build on what life is after uh, you lose a spouse or lose a child, or lose, you know, a, a family member or a friend or whatever, because you've got to continue on in life. He didn't say you get to, you know, you can't just sit soaking sour. You got to carry on. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, uh, unless you decide now is your time to die also, which is, of course, we consider that a sin. It's a, actually, it's a lack of faith in God. Suicide is actually a lack of faith, and God rewards faith. He doesn't exactly like uh, disbelief, so suicide is, you know, a lack of faith. And so you have it's to have faith that God's for a short-term problem. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. Long-term solution to a short-term problem. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we have a caller, um, a second-time caller to this show. I think Derek, would you put our caller on, please, before I get in trouble with her? <laughs> You're on, Sherry. Okay. Hi, Pastor Noble. It's nice to talk to you. It's nice to know that you have family around you. It's it's wonderful to know that you know that Myra loved the Lord and that you love mm -hmm. the Lord. I, well, the lady that we had dinner with last night that Ed mentioned earlier and my myself. What suddenly had experienced a death that 
nobody, nobody expected. The woman last night, her um, brother and her brother's son was killed instantly in a plane automobile accident, train Mm. automobile. And my brother, at age 20, was killed instantly when a a two-and-a-half-cinder block wall fell on him. Mm. I believed in the Lord, but I did not have a relationship with the Lord. I knew nothing about salvation. And Mm. um, for three days, my sister... My mom, my dad, and I sat in one place and did nothing. We knew not what to do. Right. And it wasn't until, well, my brother passed away in 1979, and I found out this year that he knew the Lord. So, and, Amen. But my whole family, through this, got saved, um... Three of us in March, one of us not until a year later, and then from there, extended family got saved. But I I know that God took something that was tragic and turned it into something good, and what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good, because many, 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 many people have been saved since then, and... But that instantaneous thing is is really difficult. But what, and it's wonderful that you had time to spend with your wife. And yes, I'm ma- sorry for the, the you know that she's gone, and yet you wouldn't want to bring her back. You know where she's at, and she's happy. And well, anyway, yeah. I just wanted to say hi, and we all love you. The Christian world just loves you, and. Um, I hope you have the rest of your life as a wonderful life. Thank you very much, Sherry. That is so sweet. You have you have blessed me beyond measure today. God bless you, sister. I'm so glad that I'm so glad that if we don't ever see each other face to face, one day we'll see his face together. How about that? That's right. Praise the Lord. That's Amen. right. God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you. It's an interesting story regarding Sherry's uh Sherry's brother that she didn't share, but that she was looking for a pastor and actually her mom was looking for somebody to do the funeral. And they went to the denomination that they had attended. They had all been raised in. I was raised in and basically the person who would do the officiating. I'm not trying, I'm trying to be nice here. And uh, he said, uh, Oh, well, you know, you guys haven't really been here in a couple of years. You haven't contributed financially. <laughs> Shaking your head. Yeah. So, be crazy. Well, Tell you, best thing in the world because uh, a guy who went on to become the head of the Assemblies of God, uh, Pastor Trask of Brightmore, uh, he said, yeah, I'll do it if I can fit it in. I got to do a funeral for somebody else that I promised her I'd do her funeral when she went. And uh, it all worked out. And, uh, you know, altar calls and, Amen. and uh, yeah, just, uh, and I remember when my dad went, I had a chance to, I wrote about how I led him to the Lord finally shortly before his death and i wrote about it and uh he was a catholic and the the priest actually let me read this thing i had written and posted about you know being with my dad towards the end and uh how i led him to the lord and i mean to have a priest talk about that you know let you talk about that to a bunch of people in his church is kind of interesting so amen yeah 
they're out there. They're out there, man. There's wonderful. I've met some wonderful Catholic priests who are born again, and I've met some some rascal pastors in in Protestant churches that are not are as lost as a goose in the snowstorm. So, I mean, yeah, they're all out there. Not my call. Yeah. My call is just to serve the Lord and love 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 those around me. So, one thing that you know there is is just this this guilt that the survivor's guilt. Why me? Uh, you know, to some degree, we find ourselves surviving our spouse and find out, you know, and think, well, why was it them and 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 not me? I mean, I haven't gone through that. And one thing that I think of more and more as I as I approach my 120th birthday, as you were alluding to, <laughs> is you know, somebody's gonna go. Fortunately, I have a very young wife. She is not anywhere near 120. Yeah. But uh, you know which of us is going to go and we have no say in that and how are we prepared for that? And, you know, I, I'd, I'd prefer, frankly, I'd hate to say this. I'd, I'd prefer it was my wife because I don't want her to grieve for me. I don't want her to go through that, you know, and yet I don't want to lose my wife and I don't want to go through it. Not our call. Like you said, Not our so call. It's, it's best, you know, there's a lot of things I go through. I prepare for in life by wondering what I would do in that situation. You know, self-defense, you know, like, you know, enter a room, smile, introduce yourself to everybody, have a plan to kill kill someone, <laughs> you know, kill whoever, you know, needs it. Now you walk into a store, it's a situational awareness. You look around, what am I going to do here? What do I do there? You're driving. Uh, what will I do if that person cuts in front of me? And, and then now you got to think of, what am I going to do if I lose someone how am i going to handle that you can prepare for that mentally it's a lot easier i say it's easier you would be best to tell me but if you're losing a loved one to alzheimer's or in your case to diabetes or or any one of a debilitating disease um you obviously have a chance to prepare for that more but i think it's not a bad idea if you get in touch with god ahead of time get a good relationship with him and hope that you can rely on him to see you through. Um, any of that make sense? Well, yeah, a lot of you people can say no. It's all no, right. No, I don't no, care. No, I, just, uh, I just, I just hope you don't go kill anybody. That's the only thing. I just no, 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 not yet. <laughs> anyway, um, you mean again? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's right. They never did convict you the first time, did they? Yeah. Anyway. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that we, you know, just going back to the survivor's guilt, I never felt, I mean, I, I, and quite unfortunately, you know, my wife's illness were, were a direct result of just her, some of her life decisions. And I would talk to her about that for, for years. My okay, you know, I would go to the gym and she wouldn't come. And I would, you know, she just, she liked to eat what she liked to eat. She was a Southern belle and she loved her Southern cooking and uh, she wasn't heavy, but she, you know, she just liked you know, the food that she ate and, and all of those were contributing factors. And that was the part that made me the most angry was that all of that was avoidable. But, you know, for whatever reason, that's the direction we went. And so, um, like I said we, earlier, she did pass. I wasn't, I wasn't really asking, you know, why her and not me. Um, I, I wish we could have been able to go together. I wish I didn't have to be here by myself, you know. And, 
And uh, because we had, you know, we had plans, we had ideas, you know, we were going to do this and going to do that. And, and, you know, all of those things kind of went up in smoke. But uh, I guess what I would tell people is live life now so you don't have regrets later. You know, if you're going to take that trip, don't put it off. We, we said for years we're going to go. She, she was actually born in Italy. Her father was a military man, and so she was born in Italy. We were going to go back and see her hometown. We kept putting up, well, next year, next year. We never got around to doing it. So consequently, we never made it. And I think that's where a lot of folks blow it is, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the opportunity that is afforded us. We're not promised tomorrow. So live with your live your life with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, with your church, as if this really is the last day you'll be on this planet. We say that in the church, live as though this is your last day. But I don't think a lot of folks believe it. I just, I'd put on a lot I'd put on a lot of weight. I'd I'm sorry. I, <laughs> this is my last day. I'd put on a lot of weight and I'd quit work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I would probably pig out on chocolate donuts myself, but um, but just just understanding that that every day is a gift, and you know God gave me thirty four years with the most amazing. Oh God. yeah. And, I mean, she was called to be a pastor's wife before I was called to be a pastor. She was actually the one when I came to her and said, "Hey, uh, I really feel like God's calling me into the ministry." She says, "I knew that five years ago, but you're just kind of slow." I mean, you know, she that's just what that's just who God made her. Um, but I, I just I just wish folks would understand that that this is the only only promised day that we've got. So utilize that. Make sure you tell your spouse you love them. Make sure you give them that hug and that kiss. And and don't ever leave the house angry or frustrated. Make sure that you don't go to the Bible says don't go to bed angry. My wife and I never did that. We did stay up for three days straight one time. <laughs> um, so I mean, there's just so many things I think we blow because we think we've got all the time in the world. And the fact of the matter is we don't. So cherish each day. And that's not a cliche, man. I've really learned that. I get with my kids and every day I tell them I love them. I let my grandkids, I love them. They're never going to have to guess if something happened to Papa tomorrow that, that they were loved and that I love Jesus because I tell them that all the time. Excellent. We have a caller, Ruth, who has a comment about grief. Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I lost two husbands the first one, 27 years we were married, three children. He was fine when I left for work one morning, and by 3 o'clock he had been repairing our daughter's car, and it fell on him, and he died under it. Oh, the yes. shock of that was terrible. And the um, thing that Jeff has said is so important. Everybody goes through this thing differently. We have to be careful to... Don't say, I know what you're going through, because you don't. Amen. And I got so down in depression that I, I'm a Christian, and I actually said to God, if life is going to be like this, I don't want it. And he urged me to get my Bible. It fell open to the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And I began coming through there, and I thought, well, this is probably a good thing to start, where to start, because Job had so much trouble. And I kept just flipping and reading, and I got to chapter 23. And Job is praying to God, and he said, I look forward, and I look backward, and I can't find God. Mm. Where are you, God? I was in that situation that day that I said that mm. to God, if life 
like this, I don't want it. And God assured me by, uh, I just felt a peace come over me. I hadn't been able to talk to God. I, I said, where are you, God? I can't hear you. And he had gave me a peace that day, and the verse that stood out was, um, you shall come forth as gold. Mm. It's in uh, Job 23.10. And what God brought out of that, um, I, I did lose another husband after 22 years of widowhood. God brought another mm-hmm. husband who had a great marriage for eight years, and he died of cancer. I took care mm-hmm. of him 24-7, and it was an entirely different experience of grief for me. The right. pastor asked me to do some grief seminars, which I, I did, and missionaries invited me, and I went to Brazil and to England and presented my seminar and spoke in churches, and grief is the same the world over. The people oh, are, we should... need the same message, and the message you're giving them is great. Be sure you're a Christian, because we're going to have trouble in this life, and the only way to really get through it is with the Lord. Right. So it appears the other thing, it... uh, a couple of things you said, um, talk to God. Tell him how you feel. Tell him you're angry. Right. He knows it already. Sure. And just pour out your heart to the Lord, because he can comfort you in that time. And the other thing that is so important is, as soon as you can, reach out to somebody every day, if you can, every week, or whatever you can do. Phone somebody. Send a card to somebody okay. who's lonely. Ruth, Take I a lunch over and share Ruth? with someone. Do something for somebody else, because you're going to find there are people left. around you that are worse than you are. So, yeah, we're right. for the break. Sorry. Thanks for calling. Pastor Noble, thanks for joining us. Folks, stay tuned for Your American Heritage and come back next week for a moment of clarity. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Pastor Noble. Thanks, Ed. You've been listening to A Moment of Clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio 